what the, what's happening in the DC epidemic. And looking out at the audience here, many of you here have been part of the effort over the last 20 years to provide the kind of care that we're all proud of here in the DC area. What we haven't had is as much structure and research to understand how the DC epidemic is different, and we haven't had research to be at the forefront to advance the field in areas where I think we have the ability to do that. But I think over the last few years, because of the efforts of many of you, we have made progress. But again, I think we really have to tip our hats to the pioneers who 25 years ago got involved in this. And it involves many of you, but as I look out at the audience, you know, John Hogan, Veronica Jenkins, but there are many who are really in it at the beginning. I think we all owe a real debt of gratitude to those who really got started at the beginning when it wasn't so popular to do. I have no disclosures since I work for the federal government, and the objectives are uh, listed here, but it's really to understand the epidemiology and some of the changes that have happened in the last few years. Now, I think that everybody here who is from the D.C. area still remembers vividly the interest and perhaps the embarrassment that occurred when D.C. finally put its data together, and it was national news that we were number one in terms of the incidence of HIV. That was really a wake-up call that, not, that meant that not only did we have to provide good care, that we really had to do something to enhance the prevention efforts uh, in the city. We needed to improve the cascade of care. And I think, as I'll review, a lot has been done since then uh, that has made a lot of progress. I think we're all well aware of the fact that in this city, like, in fact, in every other city, if you start out looking at the number of people with diagnosed cases on the left, and then go down to the right, the number of people with maintained viral suppression, those in regular care, is discouragingly small. These are data as of 2009 from the D.C. government. And as I'll show you shortly, we expect in the very near future that we'll have real-time data about this so we can show you the current data and not data that's several years old. But this simply says that in D.C., like in every other city, we have a lot of work to do to get more of our patients into regular care and to assist them in taking the drugs that they need to take. We are very proud of the fact that at NIH, we, after 25 years, finally realized that we should get more engaged in the city. And in an agreement with the Department of Health uh, for the District of Columbia, we have developed a program in which all the major community uh, providers in the city, the hospitals, the large clinics have actively and enthusiastically taken part in. I think this has been a big step in getting the government, the providers, and the research organizations together on one page to make progress in this city. We're also very pleased that there was enough enthusiasm about that that even the Washington Post recognized that there was a sea change in the city. And again, what I'd like to tell you is some of the milestones in that sea change that occurred. I think in the city, there are a number of factors which are really converging in order to change the face of HIV. Clearly, there are many community academic partners that are part of this, and I think many of you work in the clinics and the hospitals that have been such an important part of this. The DC Department of Health has become much more aggressive in the last few years about working with the CDC, with NIH, and with all of you to try to coordinate programs, and we really admire progress which they've made. 
I'd also like to point out two other things. One is the DCPFAP, the Partnership for AIDS Research. This really is engaged in developing a research program in the district that all of you can participate in because we believe strongly that we need to understand the DC epidemic because there are differences between this epidemic and perhaps what goes on in other cities. And we also believe that research is an accelerant to attracting talent, to attracting new programs so that we can provide better services. I think that so far has been a big success. As Mike pointed out, I also want to point out that GW and Alan Greenberg have gotten many of you together in what's called a Developmental Center for AIDS Research. And as I'll show you some data, this has brought new grants and new talent into the district, which I think is enhancing many of the programs and giving us insight into the issues that we need to deal with. I think this is a major event. We have to realize that this is a funded project, which I really think is having important benefits at a local level. When we did a needs assessment in 2007, when the data came out about uh, DC, our first hire was Lisa Fitzpatrick, who subsequently was on the faculty at Howard, and now is at United Medical Center. She went and talked to many of the stakeholders in the city, both the providers and the other community stakeholders, and she recognized that what the community saw that they needed were really three things. One is more granular epidemiologic data. How do we understand what's going on uh, ward by ward, block by block? And also, the problem that the providers identified was not providing primary care. We have wonderful uh, primary care in the city, and we probably have enough, given the fact that through DC Alliance, Medicaid, and other sources, that care can be funded. What the providers said they did not have was for the underinsured patients, access to subspecialty care, particularly in liver disease and mental health. So those are the programs that we started out uh, creating. The first issue in terms of creating a more granular database, we looked at what people like Mike Sag have done in Birmingham. We looked at what the Hopkins Moore Clinic have done. And one of the great advantages they have is that they know all of the data, the clinical epidemiologic data on their patients. We would like to emulate that. But one of the disadvantages that Mike Sag has, if Mike Sag will admit to any disadvantages, is he knows his clinic, but I don't think he knows his entire city. What we set out to do through the vision of Carl Diefenbach and others is to create a database which would look at patients across the city so we could see what wards were struggling to provide better care, what clinics were doing an especially good job, not for the purpose of being punitive, but so that we see where do more resources need to be uh, invested, what models are really working, what are trends we need to work on, so that we have created under Alan Greenberg uh, uh, leadership what's called the DC cohort. And there are 13 major providers who take part in this. Everybody who's been approached has agreed. We have over a 90% acceptance rate by patients since they have to give informed consent. But what this will do is this will electronically download in real time key information. It will compare their information with the Department of Health and will really give us an, a way of looking in real time at what's happening in the epidemic. We have almost 6,000 patients enrolled so far. We're hoping to double that number in the next couple of years. And I think you'll begin to see exported data analyzed so that both from a research point of view and from an operational point of view, we can see what's working in the city and what isn't, 
where should we invest uh, and where are we doing well. So I think that's an exciting development. And we will, I think, be the only city that has a citywide database like that. But that really is because of the vision of Car people like Carl Diefenbach and because the GW School of Public Health has been able to operationalize that. And Amanda Castell there has done an amazingly good job at getting all the technical and political and legal uh, kinks worked out. I think that's going to really put DC on the map. So they're just like the Max cohort or the Birmingham cohort or the, Hop or the Hopkins cohort, our city is going to have data that will be unparalleled. And we appreciate everybody's hard work on that. If you look at the enrollment, again, this shows you the enrollment. And again, uh, there's an accelerant uh, effect in that we have to get all the groups online. It's taken time to get them all online. But what I want to point out here is if you look at the blue, that's the people who are consented. Red people are still thinking about it. But we were concerned as to whether or not the community in DC would accept this. And you can see in the green at the top, it's a very small group, less than 5% most clinics, that is refusing to participate. So the clinic is embracing this. And we appreciate all the effort that community groups and providers have put in to make this happen. We're also very proud of the fact that before 2008, there were no prevention research studies being done in the city. Through efforts by Carl Diefenbach, Alan Greenberg, and others, DC became a site for prevention trials network studies. And we're very pleased that in the study, the 061 Brothers study, the 064 ISIS study in women, DC is among the leaders nationally in accruing patients. DC is among the leaders nationally in retaining subjects in care. This means that we're a high-performing city, and this also means that we're a good candidate for additional studies. So that the next step is what's called HPT, the Prevention Treatment Network 069, which is looking at PrEP regimens to prevent HIV. And again, while these are research studies involving relatively small number of patients, a couple hundred patients, it means that there's more expertise in the city, there's more focus on prevention. I think this is going to have an impact not just on research, but also on operational programs that occur in this city. We're also pleased with the fact that DC was chosen to be a focal city, along with the Bronx, in what's called TLC+. This is a study that's looked at expanded testing, linkage to care. It's looked at a variety of outcomes. And while this has been a controversial project, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about what strategies ought to be tested and what aren't. It really allows us to look at the city, at what works and what doesn't work. I think the fact that we were chosen as one of the focal cities, I think it's something we should be proud of. And we should be proud of the fact that the investigators who have operationalized this study in this uh, city have done a terrific job and are getting good data, which we'll be seeing in the next year or two. In terms of the clinical programs of the city, as I mentioned before, the needs assessment that Lisa Fitzpatrick did said that hepatitis and mental health were the two largest problems. If you look at this slide here that shows the rate per 100,000 population of hepatitis C in the District of Columbia, you can see that the yellow line is the District of Columbia, and it compares the incidence of, eight, of hepatitis C compared to three comparator areas, Colorado, Connecticut, New York State. And you can see that, as expected, just as we have a major problem with HIV, we have a major problem for hepatitis. So the clinicians who talked to Lisa in the needs assessment I think had a great understanding of the epidemic. They could see that liver disease was the problem. 
that we needed to address. So that, in fact, is what we focus on. It's also no surprise also that hepatitis C is in the same geographic areas in the city as HIV. So that when we at NIH <coughs> decided to start a clinical program, it was logical to put our clinics in those areas. And we decided rather than creating clinics, we would work with existing clinics. And we have had great collaboration with Family Medicine and with Unity at both Walker Jones and DC General, which have been wonderful sites for introducing new agents and doing studies, as we'll see in a moment. The clinics we have are shown here. And again, we tried to put the clinics in the areas where the patients were so that not everybody had to come to Bethesda for all their uh, uh, problems. And the goal, as all of you who went to the hepatitis C workshop yesterday know, and as Susan Nagy uh, and Anu Sanusi will talk about today, the goal has been to understand the natural history of hepatitis C. I see Dana Silver here in the audience. She did a great study that was published in uh, Clinical Infectious Disease, looking at the rate of progression, the rate of fibrosis in patients with hepatitis C, showing that we can use the database, we can use the sites that we've created to create uh, information that I think is going to contribute to the national understanding of this disease. But clearly, the timing has been right to go from complicated hepatitis C regimens involving interferon and multiple toxic drugs to hopefully one pill a day. And I think that we are on the forefront nationally in doing those studies. And I think that my expectation is, in addition to the studies I'll talk about in a minute, and uh, Nuo Sanusi will mention, in addition to the studies that we have done, my hope is that we'll be on the forefront of not just doing research studies involving small numbers of patients, but we will be among the first studies operationalize widespread hepatitis C treatment so that we can reduce the burden of liver disease in this city. The first study that we're very proud to have finished is one that all of you have heard about, I think, which is the so-called SPARE study, which was one of the first interferon-free studies of hepatitis C in the U.S. All the studies from, were from D.C., and while many sites, while many uh, studies struggle to enroll patients, First of all, there's a lot of excitement, admittedly, about hepatitis C. But we were very pleased that with all of you as partners, we were able to recruit 60 patients in six weeks and really get the study finished in record time. This has been an exciting regimen of a new oral drug along with ribavirin, no interferon. It was interesting enough that it was a late breaker at the CROI meeting. It was an opening oral plenary at the liver meetings, so that this means that DC studies now are at the head of the list of interest nationally. I think they will continue to be, so that we now are leading the country rather than following in others' footsteps. And we're expecting in the next couple of days to get the final word after several revisions that this will be published in a prominent journal, which of course I won't mention until we get the final word. The next study we're going to do is a study of almost 200 patients or this is a study that actually is underway. What we want to do is look at all the HIV, uh, all the hepatitis C genotypes. We'd like to look at the patients who failed SPARE. There were 17 patients who failed, and see if with a new regimen uh, they can be treated. But what we're moving into is an interferon and ribavirin-free regimen. 
We're looking at combinations of two or three oral drugs, which will be in one pill a day. There are many regimens out there. It's hard to know whether this will be the best regimen. But I think the bottom line is that DC patients are getting access to the most advanced treatments. And we're proud of the fact that not only are we giving our patients the opportunity to get access to these drugs, but also we're among the leaders nationally in determining what the best therapy is. I think we're also pleased that while our first studies involved the patients coming to NIH, this is a picture of the first patient who received drug on the Synergy protocol uh, at the Unity DC General Site, so that more and more of the studies, the patients will be able to get their drugs and enroll in studies at community sites, so they're not all Bethesda-centric. They are focused on uh, uh, clinics that have the infrastructure in order to uh, follow all regulatory uh, requirements. But I think this is also a very positive um, uh, state uh, step for the city. And you see here Anita Coley, who's our investigator there, with some of our nurses and other support staff, and the first patient who was very proud to be the first one to get one of the Synergy single drug, uh, single pill a day regimens at uh, DC General. We have another study coming up, which will also be a one pill daily for HIV positive uh, patients. The prior studies have been on mono-infected patients because the uh, companies did not have information about interactions between the HIV drugs and the hepatitis C drugs. This study will be starting very shortly. It will start with co-infected patients who are not on antiretrovirals, and then as soon as the data is available about drug interactions, we'll go to patients on antiretrovirals. But again, this will be one of the first, if not the first, study in the U.S. looking at co-infected patients with this regimen. I'd also like to draw your attention to the fact that the needs assessment focused on mental health studies. We have started a neurocognitive program that will use the Washington Hospital Center, which will use unity sites, will use family medicine, to try to look at neurocognitive issues. You're going to hear a talk later uh, about this uh, from uh, Victor Valcor, who's really one of the experts. We would like to understand in DC how much of neurocognitive is due to HIV versus cofactors, and we're going to build on what Victor has developed over the last 10 years to try to study this in the DC so we can see is there a need for prevention strategies, and if there's a need for therapy, what therapies might be effective. I'd like to end by saying if you look at what the Center, uh, what the Center for AIDS Research has done, it really is impressive at how they have built infrastructure in DC. The amount of funding that has occurred in DC compared to prior years is impressive. And this, the pie graph on the left shows the number of new NIH awards, which total 35. You can see how they're distributed among the hospitals and academic centers in the city. And you can also see on the bottom right the number of new hires in the city, which is also impressive. And I think particularly if you look at some of the people who come into the city because of largely the efforts of the CIFAR to enhance recruitment. The chair of sociology at American University is very interested in the, in the uh, gentrification of HIV in the city. The dean of the School of Nursing at Georgetown is interested in HIV. And if you look down the list, Keith Crandall, the director of the GW Computational Biology Center, you know, we're talking to you about doing a study on HCV. Doug Nixon, the new chair of microbiology at GW, was recruited from UCSF. I honestly don't think this would have happened in the past if we didn't have the kind of momentum that this city has. But people now say, I want to be part of the effort in DC, and that's different from 10 years ago.
So finally, I think if you look at whether or not we're turning the tide, Greg Pappas provided me the study, and you can look at the green line that shows the newly diagnosed uh, HIV cases. Um, uh, I'm sorry, the green line shows the patients living with AIDS, which is increasing. But you can see the newly diagnosed uh, patients in blue are declining. The number of deaths are declining. And you can argue about why this is happening, what are the factors. But I think we finally have some data that show we're making some progress. I think we can look forward to more progress. So I think, in sum, if you look at what's happened to the efforts by our community providers, for our uh, voluntary agencies in this city, we have a tremendous amount of community collaboration. We have a new sense of progress. And I think that the kind of dramatic progress you're going to see over the next few years will become a national model. So we appreciate the efforts from all of you for doing this. And I look forward to giving you more advances uh, uh, that we can talk about in the years to come. Thanks very much. If we have time for a few questions. I, I was struck by the picture of the Capitol with the sign dramatic progress underneath it. And I thought, OK. At least, some, at least there's progress somewhere in the city, right? Okay, so we have time for questions. Henry, one of the things that I was struck by, like you showed in the last slide or two, is the really dramatic um, influx of, of new talent and leadership uh, because of the CFAR. And I, I just want to commend everyone for that. That is, that it's really hard to, to recruit, right? I mean, it's hard to uproot people from where they are especially really talented people who are having a lot of success. So I, I want to congratulate you all on that. That's really uh, uh, fantastic progress. Um, any questions um, about Henry's talk or the DCC FAR or what's happening here? OK. Well, good. Well, thanks, Henry. It was wonderful. OK. so.